0: If you're just joining us, this is Backstory, and we're marking the
1: 150th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address with a look at the role oratory has played in American life. We're going to zoom in on one more presidential speech that made the history books, but you're only going to find this one in the index under Flops. The story starts on Independence Day, 1979.
2: Good evening. The news today begins with a mystery. The White House announced this afternoon that President Carter has canceled the television talk on energy, which he had planned to give to the country on television tomorrow night. The White House would give no reason for
1: the cancellation, no details. On July 4th, Americans were notified that their president, Jimmy Carter, was holed up in Camp David and not coming out. It was a strange thing to do at a bad time for the country. The Iranian revolution had disrupted the flow of oil to the United States. And the result was gas lines. Gas lines that stretched for miles. People in those gas lines didn't know if they were going to make it to work each morning. Fights broke out at the gas stations. Even shootings were reported. The country was in a funk that was turning into a crisis. The country was uh, seriously up in arms. There was total uproar. This is Gordon Stewart, one of Carter's speechwriters at the time. Stewart says that people were looking to the White House for some way out of the energy crisis. But Carter had already given four speeches about energy. If he gave another one, people were just going to tune out, and Carter knew that.
0: He said, I do not want to, and I believe the words are, bullshit the American people. Another energy speech is not going to work. I'm not going to give it. And so,
1: the White House canceled. And now, the president and his aides were stuck at Camp David, with the whole world watching. They knew when he came down from the mountain, he had to say something. And so they got to work on a different kind of speech.
0: We have the total attention of virtually every sentient being in the United States.
1: We damn well better have a really great speech. Carter started by inviting people from around the country to Camp David. He wanted them to just kind of come over like neighbors and chat about what they thought was wrong with the country. Meanwhile, speechwriters and advisers tried to figure out what they should tell the American public.
0: There were vigorous arguments going on amongst the senior staff and close advisors, including the vice president, for what the speech would finally be. Now, of That's course, vice the Vice President
1: dis- Walter Mondale. Ma-
0: Walter Mondale, who had very strong views. Uh, everything was on the line. The meanwhile, droning in the background, you could hear on television uh, people saying, Is
1: the president okay? Has he lost it? Um, what is happening here? And after 10 long days, Carter came down from the mountain. Yes, to give another speech, one that would get people to sit up and do something.
2: Good evening. This is a special night for me.
1: At 10 p.m. on July 15th, Americans saw Carter in a dark blue suit, sitting at his desk in the the Oval Office. His hands were folded together, and he had several large index cards face down in front of him. He began recounting his journey.
2: Ten days ago... I invited to Camp David people from almost every segment of our society, business and labor, teachers and preachers, governors, mayors, and private citizens, men and women like you. It has been an extraordinary 10 days.
1: Then, what can only be described as a therapy session began. One by one, one, Carter picked up the index cards and read complaints that he had received from his guests at Camp David.
2: Mr. President, you're not leading this nation. You're just managing the government. You don't see the people enough anymore. Some of your cabinet members don't seem loyal.
1: The list went on, nearly 20 quotes in total. And after reflecting on the job he'd been doing, Carter turned to the American people. He explained that their problems stem from something much deeper, than the energy crisis at hand. Two decades of social upheaval, assassinations, the Vietnam War, and Watergate, they had all taken their toll on Americans. Carter labeled that...
2: ...a crisis of confidence. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will.
1: Then Carter shifted from therapy to proposing a solution. He suggested a massive World War II-style mobilization that would snap America's dependence on foreign oil. He asked the government and everyday people to pitch in and conserve energy.
2: We've got to stop crying and start sweating. Stop talking and start walking. The strength we need will not come from the White House. But from every House in America.
1: And believe it or not, he connected. Letters flooded into the White House. More letters than when Jerry Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. And the vast majority of those letters were positive. Not only that, the president's sinking approval rating shot up overnight by 11%.
0: People, I think, felt, ah, yes, this is what we have wanted to hear. We now have some reason to believe that the pain and suffering of our uh, specific situations in terms of gas and the doubts
1: and fears and anxieties are not intractable states of nature. But then, just two days after the speech, Carter blew it.
2: Another surprise from President Carter today, he has been offered the resignations of all the members of his cabinet, a dozen of his senior White House assistants, and several other high-ranking officials of his administration, the whole top bunch.
1: Turns out he had asked his entire cabinet for their resignation. It was an attempt to show strength and decisiveness. What people saw instead was their president displaying the same lack of confidence that he had railed against in his speech. In just a matter of days, people stopped talking about a crisis of confidence and instead started referring to a malaise. The Democratic primary was coming up and it didn't take long for presidential hopefuls like Ted Kennedy to seize on that new frame.
2: When we were facing the problems of depression in the 1930s, we did not say that that's too complex and too difficult
1: that somehow the American people were in a malaise? Gordon Stewart says that the word malaise was repeated so often in those weeks and months that people became convinced that Carter had used it in his primetime address. He hadn't, but people started calling it the malaise speech anyway. For the next 30 years, Stewart would challenge guests at dinner parties over it. They
0: would argue, and I'd set them up. Sometimes I could set up a whole a whole table of dinner guests. Um, and anywhere from 50 bucks to the price of dinner ahead. I could come out with $500 in a night. And that helped me get over the, uh, uh, the frustration and pain of their
1: misunderstanding. But Stewart says Carter's actions are only partly to blame for the undoing of his big speech. That's because he was operating within a media environment where speed, brevity, and commentary quickly crowded out the president's words. It was the
0: birth of this, uh, this whole way of framing things where people don't uh, any longer experience the thing itself. Uh, only a few years after that, you would uh, have news programs where uh, instead of listening to the president himself, you'd see the president start to talk, and then somebody's voice would cover. The president tonight is, is showing that he has no idea what he's talking about. And so framing came to substitute
1: for the real thing. The crisis of confidence speech was intended to be more than just a speech. It was supposed to inspire Americans to change not only their energy habits, but their sense of connectedness to each other and to the whole nation. Instead, it came to stand in for all of Carter's failures as a president, from the Iran hostage crisis later that year to his failed re-election bid. In a way, his address to the nation did become more than just a speech, but not in the way that Jimmy Carter had hoped for. Thanks to Gordon Stewart for helping to tell that story. He's a former speechwriter for President Jimmy Carter. His current project, based on the principles of the crisis of confidence speech, is called TheNextDeal.org.